the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest victory ever won. This was more than just an unjust trial of an innocent man, that this was actually the defeat of evil and the coronation of God as king. But I think most of us, because we love Jesus, we struggle to even understand how could that have happened? How could anybody have hated Jesus? How could anybody have mistreated him or killed him? How does something like that even come about? And I want us to sort of empathize with that for just a minute. I want us to think about this phrase for a second. Sometimes an accusation says more about the accuser than the accused. And I think we could all, if we're real honest, we could probably understand probably both sides of this. We've probably been accused of something by somebody, and the accusation says more about them than it does about us. But I want to think about it from the other side. Have you ever been around somebody that's so smart, it's kind of frustrating? You know, they're so smart, it kind of makes you feel dumb in comparison. Or been around somebody that's so strong, it kind of makes you feel weak. Or been around somebody and you think they're just so nice and so good that it makes you feel bad in comparison. And we find ways, sort of passive aggressive ways to accuse them or criticize them. So instead of saying, man, you're so healthy and strong, I'm kind of jealous. Instead of being honest like that, we, we say, well, yeah, I, you know, I mean, he's strong, but I bet he doesn't spend as much time with his family as I do. You know, he spends way too much time at the gym, you know, you we find ways to accuse someone, but the accusation actually says more about us than it does about them because there's something in them that's bringing out the worst in us. There's something that's so good in them that it, because of our insecurities, makes us aware of our own failings and weaknesses. In a lot of ways, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus was so godly and so perfect and so good and so loving that it brought out the truth in other people. Some people, that truth brought them to the feet of Jesus and said, I want what you have to offer. You must be the king. And other people, out of their jealousy, they hated him and they crucified him. And I think if we're going to understand the trial scene that we're going to read in just a moment, we've got to go back in the Gospel of John, just a, just a few chapters. Look at John chapter 8. We've got a lot of text to cover today, but I, I want us to see this before we get to the trial. Listen to what this conversation was like between Jesus and probably the same people who eventually were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. But Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That, that's not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And of course, they were confused by that. And they said to him, we, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. 
I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. They're saying, God is our father. God is our king. And Jesus is saying, no, he's not. And the evidence that God is not your father, that God is not your king, is the fact that you hate me. The fact that you hate me is the evidence that you don't really have God as your father, God as your king. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Now listen, here's, here's exactly what the trial is all about. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The fact that the religious leaders of Jesus' day hated Jesus and wanted to kill him wasn't an indictment of Jesus, was it? It wasn't because Jesus had done anything wrong. The reason, the fact that they hated him and wanted to kill him was an indictment on them. And so when we get to the trial of Jesus, we have to understand that this really isn't Jesus on trial. It's the world on trial. The fact that they hate him and they are dead set on killing him is evidence against, not Jesus, evidence against them. From the moment Jesus showed up on the scene, the world was on trial. And the evidence, whether a person is of the truth, whether a person is of God, or whether a person is of the lies and of the devil, is seen in whether or not they come to Jesus and are drawn to him and trust in him and believe in him, or whether they say, I want nothing to do with him. They hated him, they rejected him because they were guilty not because he was guilty. And that's exactly what's going on in the trial. Look at John chapter 18 and verse 19. Of course, we read last week how Jesus was arrested and how when he told them who he was, all the, all the men who were there to arrest him, they fell down and they bowed before him involuntarily that even though they meant it for evil, Jesus was using all of this, all of this for good. That these men who were there to arrest him on the surface, the deeper reason, the deeper meaning, the deeper truth is that they were actually leading him to his coronation. Look at verse 19 of John 18. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, right? 
Did I say something wrong? Is anything I said untrue? But if what I said is right, and here's the question, why do you strike me? John's helping to bring this whole thing to the surface so that as the readers we see it, why do you strike me? Why is it that this servant of the high priest would strike Jesus? Why is it that all of these men in this story will strike Jesus? Why is it that they accuse him? Why is it that they hate him? Why is it that they're seeking to kill him? Because they are guilty. Why do you strike me? Did, did, anything, did I say anything wrong? Did I say anything that wasn't true? And if not, if I'm speaking truth, why do you strike me? The answer is because you are guilty. I wish we had time to talk about Peter and Peter's denial of Jesus and the fact that Jesus stood trial alone, but, but we'll skip down to verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, listen to this, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. The irony is as thick as the guilt, isn't it? I mean, how ironic is that? And John, I think, I mean, he's got to be saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek when he's writing this down for his readers to hear. He's like, yeah, they, they're in the process of murdering an innocent man. They're in the process of murdering the Messiah, yet they don't want to go into the governor's headquarters, into this Roman's house, into this Gentile's house, because we don't want to be defiled. We still want to eat the Passover. You're in the process of unjustly convicting and having someone murdered, and you're worried about being ceremonially unclean? All of this is evidence, not of Jesus' guilt, but of theirs. Jesus isn't really the one on trial here. Jesus chose to be here. Jesus allowed himself to go with the, the men who arrested him. Jesus is putting himself forth to be crowned as king and to defeat all of the forces of evil and darkness. And the world is on trial. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Okay, here. Finally, what, what's the accusation? What, what's this guy done wrong? And they answered him, here's, here's the accusation. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Wait, wait, that's not evidence, right? I mean, how, how does that work in a courtroom, right? What, what's, what's, the, what's the charge against the defendant? The fact that he's in court. He wouldn't be in court if he wasn't guilty. Obviously, he's guilty. He's here, right? That's, that's not how you try someone. That's not how you judge someone. The, an accusation is not evidence of guilt, but the fact that they are accusing someone and using the accusation itself as evidence against him is actually evidence against them, that they are the ones who are guilty. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, then fine, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. What's the problem with that? You, you take him. Go, go have your little trial. You guys go, go do whatever it is you want to do. You're not going to tell me the accusation. Give me any evidence. Then fine, you take him and try him. You have your, your little court. And they said, well, we can't do that because we already decided to put him to death and we can't put him to death, so you're going to have to do it, right? What kind of a trial is that? They've already decided before the trial begins that this guy's going to die. 
and they don't want to be the ones to do it because under Roman law, they couldn't put him to death. So here, you do it. But we've already decided not only that he's guilty, but that he's deserving death. Again, none of this is evidence against Jesus, but all of it is evidence against them. They were jealous. They hated him because he brought out the worst in them. His entire life, the fact that he shone light into a dark world, instead of realizing I'm guilty and I need him to be my Messiah and my Savior, they hated him because he revealed the worst about them and was continuing to do so. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Again, Jesus is in charge here. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to himself, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him. I love this. So Jesus turns around the question, do you, do you say that of your own accord or did, you, did others say it to you about me? Or, no, are you saying that I'm the king because you're kind of wondering that yourself or just because others have said that and you heard it? So who's on trial now? Pilate. Now Pilate's on trial. What are you saying about me? Who do you say that I am? What do you think about these things? I'm not going to tell you. I want you to tell me. Do you believe that I'm the king? Or are you just saying that because that's what you've heard other people say? Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? That's a great question. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be, have been fighting so that I might not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't in the world. We're, we are part of that kingdom. We're in the world. Jesus meant it's not from the world. It's not of the world. If it were, it would be established like every other kingdom with swords and spears and shields and chariots and horses. But he's taking over the world by self-giving love and faithfulness. Verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone, listen to this, everyone, 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 not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles like Pilate and you and me, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Everyone's on trial. And the evidence is whether or not you listen to his voice. Whether or not you come to him for forgiveness and salvation, leadership, to say, I pledge my loyalty to you. Or you say, I don't really have time for that. I don't want that. I don't want you to be my king. That's the evidence. If you listen to his voice, you are of the what? Truth. And if you refuse to listen to his voice, you are not of the truth. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So the first time, it's going to happen three times. First time, he's declared innocent, right? Not guilty. How many trials do you know where somebody has to be declared innocent multiple times? Here, three times, not guilty. No guilt in him. But you have a custom, Pilate said, that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. 
Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, it's interesting. Not only did Pilate say that he was innocent, I find no guilt in him, but did you see in verse 39, do you want me to release to you the what? King of the Jews. Now, I mean, obviously, Pilate didn't really think that Jesus was any sort of a king, but he's declaring it. Multiple times in this account, Jesus will be declared to be innocent and to be king. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and what? Flogged him. You just got done saying, this man is not guilty. He's innocent. So what does it say about a man, a leader, a ruler, a governor like Pilate, who would flog a man he knew to be innocent simply because that's what the crowds are demanding, that Pilate is guilty? Pilate's on trial here as well. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Again, on the surface, this is horrible what's happening, isn't it? But if we look deeper than the surface, we see that just like what Joseph said. You remember what Joseph said about his brothers? His brothers who threw him in a pit. His brothers who, who tried to kill him. His brothers who sold him into slavery. Joseph said, you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Your act of throwing me out, your act of selling me into slavery actually made me the second most powerful person in the world. And their act of mocking and unjustly trying and crucifying Jesus, they meant it for evil, but what was being accomplished was unspeakable good. And what they said in a mocking way, hail, king of the Jews, was actually more true than they could possibly imagine. Pilate says, this man is not guilty. Amen, he's not guilty. This man is king of the Jews. Amen, he is king of the Jews. They put a crown on his head. They meant it mockingly, but he is being crowned. They put a purple robe on his back. They meant it mockingly, but Jesus is being crowned and arrayed in purple cloth, and he's being lifted up. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Second time, declared innocent. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns. And the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I, third time, I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. Now, now again, they're meaning it as an accusation but they're actually declaring the truth. When Pilate heard this statement, he's even more afraid. Oh, wait a second. I know this guy's innocent, and I know he's claiming to be a king, but now they're saying a son of God. I, I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna, I, that makes me nervous about having this guy killed. So he heard the statement. He was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? <laughs> Poor Pilate. As, as we would say, bless his heart, right? Just bless his heart. <laughs> he, he, he actually thinks he's in charge here, doesn't he? 
He's not. And Jesus says in verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus makes it clear, I'm in charge here. And I'm actually the judge here. And I'm declaring that they all, all them, all y'all, no, not all y'all, but all of them, turning me over to you, they're guilty, so are you. Their guilt is greater than yours, but you're all guilty. And they know they're guilty, don't they? Pilate knows that what's happening to this man is unjust and unfair. He's declared three times this man is innocent, yet he is going to allow him to be crucified. He flogged him and is going to turn him over to die because Pilate is guilty. These religious leaders, they know he hasn't really done anything deserving of death, yet they're screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him. Why? Because they are guilty. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not a Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And again, I'm sure Pilate means it in a mocking way. But at least three times now, Jesus has been declared as king. He's had a crown put on him and arrayed in purple. Declared multiple times he's innocent and he's the king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, finally, you told the truth. Finally, you admitted your guilt and the trial ends. Not because Jesus has been found to be guilty, but because finally they've confessed their own guilt. What's been the charge against them all along since chapter 8? You are not really God's children. You do not really have God as your father or your king. If you did, when I showed up, you would have loved me and followed me. But because you hated me and wanted to kill me, it's evidence that God is not your king. And finally, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They might as well have said, we are guilty. But what, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And with that, Jesus is lifted up, not only to defeat the forces of darkness, but that God might be king of all those who would give their loyalty and allegiance to Jesus. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, do we live our lives? Here's our moment of truth. Do you live your life aware of the fact that your allegiance is on trial every day? To where does our loyalty belong? To where does our allegiance belong? It's very easy to say, God is our king. God is our father. We're God's children. 
But when it comes down to it, Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everything comes down to, our trial comes down to this. What will you do with Jesus? Are you loyal to Jesus? Does Jesus have your allegiance? And every single day that we get out of bed, we have the opportunity to live in such a way that we are testifying to the fact, Jesus is my king. But we also have a million opportunities to say with those who crucified him, we have no king but Caesar. To whom does your loyalty belong? We're all guilty, aren't we? We've all sinned and fallen short. And when we see the goodness and the righteousness and the perfection and the love of Jesus, what does that cause us to do? To go on about our lives as if nothing has changed? Or to be drawn to him and say, I belong to you. I will stand with you. And to get out of bed every morning saying, I'm with Jesus. He has my loyalty and my allegiance. Some of us have, have failed in that. A lot like Peter has failed in that. All of us have failed in that. And I'm so thankful for the very end of John where Jesus gives Peter another opportunity to prove his loyalty and his allegiance. You have an opportunity today and tomorrow and every day that you draw breath to prove that Jesus is your king. Our allegiance is on trial today and tomorrow and every day. And we need each other, don't we? Because it's hard and it's scary. And we need encouragement from each other. And maybe there's someone here this morning and you're feeling broken and you're feeling afraid. You're feeling guilty and ashamed and you need the prayers of your church family for whatever is going on in your life. Or maybe someone this morning, you're ready to declare your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus by being baptized into him and allowing his selfless love, his blood that was shed, his sacrifice to bring you healing and forgiveness and life everlasting. Whatever you need, we want to help you this morning. So won't you come forward now as we stand and sing this song.